like that song that his praise will ever be on our lips. That means on the good days and the bad days, his praise will be on our lips. A scripture that's been on my heart over the last number of weeks says, Make his praise glorious. We have a glorious God who deserves our very best praises. I feel very honored and thrilled to be here at the Nortonsville Church today. Thank you, Pastor Greg, and it's always good to be with you and your wife, Donna, and your kids and, and your church. And I congratulate you for navigating this church through some t- tough times. But I declare it's going to take more than COVID to stop the church because it's going to take more than a bad winter. It's going to take more than bad weather. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I congratulate you and your leadership team for navigating the church through these tough times. And I just feel very honored to be here today. And this is a one-day revival. How many believe God can revive us in a single day? This morning service at 9, at 11, and then this evening at 6 p.m. And I'm excited to be with you all day today. And I'm going to give you all I got in three services in a single day. When the day is over, we're going to go, we are revived now. (laughs) Praise God. Let me mention to you that I have my new book with me. Now, many of you already have the Storyteller's Devotional. But during the 11 weeks when I was at cancellations beginning March last year, uh, during the off time, I, I spent time and, and wrote a book. So um, it is available. Many of you already have it and have read it. But if not, today's a day you can get your copy. The Storyteller's Devotional. It's 90 fascinating stories. What I say, I call them earthly stories with heavenly value. that will be a blessing to you. So I have them on the table and we'll have them available for you immediately following the service. As for now, I want to get into the word of the Lord. Well, you know, we have Easter coming up in a few weeks, and so I've been thinking more about the Passion Week and thinking more about the sufferings of Christ. My, my uh, intent today is to share with you on one of the particular sufferings of Christ. I want you to stand with me just briefly for the reading of God's Word. And the suffering that I want to point to is that occasion when Christ took a spear in his side. Let's notice on the scriptures in John chapter 19, beginning at verse 33 and also verse 34. It says, but when they came to Jesus, they being the soldiers at the cross, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. In verse 34, I want to focus on this. But one of the soldiers pierced his side. With a spear. We're going to think about that today. And immediately blood and water came out. And the title that I want to use is simply the significance of the pierced side. What's the value? What's the significance of that? We're going to talk about it. And it is very valuable and very significant. You may be seated. Thank you. Father, I humble myself before you and before this congregation, and I thank you for every opportunity to minister the word of the Lord. Lay your hand upon me now and enable me to communicate the word of God in a clear way that is easily understood and that we would come to understand in a greater way the sufferings of Christ. I pray for anybody that needs to be saved that this would be their day of salvation. Revive your church. In Christ's name we pray. 
And everyone said amen. And amen. I want us to think on this particular suffering of Christ. When the spear went into his side, we often, I think, in the church, put emphasis on some of the other sufferings of Christ. For example, when his back was beaten with a whip. And we understand clearly the significance of that, that he was striped for our healing. And oftentimes we sing about or talk about the nails that were in his hands and his feet. And we understand the significance of that. The Bible says our sins were nailed to the tree. And we oftentimes talk about the crown of thorns that was on his head. And we understand the significance of that, that the thorns represented the, the curse back from the days of Adam and Eve. And Jesus bore our curse when he was on, on the tree. We understand the significance of, of these sufferings. But I think if there's a neglected suffering of Christ, it's probably the spear that went into his side. And we want to talk about why that was important and the significance of that. We want to narrow our focus today on the spear that went into his side. And I, I just want to put it, uh, if I can, in a nutshell, Jesus took the point hoping we would get the point. Jesus took the point hoping we would get the point. And today, that's what we want to do. So I want to look at three significances and proofs concerning the pure side. Let's go to point number one. It proves Jesus is the Messiah. The fact that Jesus took a spear in his side is part of the proof that Jesus is the Messiah. Notice what verse 36 says. These things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. And one of the scriptures is that none of his bones would be broken. There's another scripture that said they will look on him whom they pierced. So why was Jesus pierced in the side? Was it just an arbitrary act of a soldier no, it was fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Now, each of the gospel writers tell about the cross, but only John mentions the fact that a spear went into the side of Christ. And I'm so glad John mentioned it because it is a direct fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. Now, you probably already know this, but let's review very quickly that Jesus died on a Friday and so at sunset on Friday for the Jewish people became Saturday or the Sabbath. And they didn't do burials on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath they had strict rules and regulations. And they still do, even in Israel today, have very strict rules and regulations. As a matter of fact, the last time I was in Israel in the elevator in one of the motels, uh, I accidentally got on the, on the Sabbath elevator, the Shabbat elevator. You don't even push buttons on the Sabbath elevator. It automatically stops at every floor on the way up and stops on every floor on the way down. Some Orthodox Jews were on the elevator with us, and me being an old Gentile, I didn't realize the difference. I was working on the Sabbath when I pushed the button on the elevator, and they went... <laughs> And this elevator, you don't have to push the buttons on the Sabbath. It's going to stop at every, every floor. You see, this is the way they think on the Sabbath. No burials on the Sabbath. So in, even 2,000 years ago, they're saying we cannot leave three criminals dead on the cross through the Saturday and we can't do the burial and they're not supposed to be there on a holy day. And so this whole idea comes down to the fact that they needed to break the legs of the crucified uh, criminals, Christ was not 
guilty, of course. He died innocently, but this was to further along and quicken their death. But this was, it was more than that. It was the fulfillment of prophecy. It proves that Jesus is the Messiah. According to Psalm 34, 20, not a bone of his would be broken. And according to Zechariah 12 and 10, they will look on him whom they pierced. Now, there's something very interesting about prophecy and the fulfillment of prophecy. And you get into the science of probability. There's a man by the name of David Williams with computer systems and with his mathematical skills. He's a part of the university at Newcastle. But he says, even if you took eight prophecies from the Old Testament and tried to find someone who would fulfill just eight prophecies, you would have difficulty finding. And here's the probability. Just to fulfill eight prophecies, it would be 10 to the 17th power. Now, that's a number too big for my mind, but he explains if you took a silver dollar and put a mark on it and then put this silver dollar among other silver dollars, enough silver dollars, two feet thick, through the entire state of Texas and then blindfolded a man and dropped him in Texas and told him to walk around the whole state of Texas and then reach down and pick up the one coin that had been marked, that would be 10 to the 17th power. To find a person to fulfill only eight prophecies, but Jesus fulfilled more than eight prophecies. Even if you go higher and say 48 prophecies, 48 prophecies, to fulfill 48 prophecies, it's calculated 10 to the 157th power. That is a 10 followed by 157 zeros. It's, just, it's impossible. No, it's not impossible because Jesus did it. But there were more than eight prophecies. There were more than 48 prophecies. There are 456 prophecies prophecies in the Old Testament and Jesus fulfilled every single one of them and if he failed to fulfill any of them he would have not qualified to be the Messiah. It was prophesied he would born of a virgin and he was. It was prophesied he would be born in the city of Bethlehem and he was. It was prophesied he would be a descendant of David and he is. It was prophesied that infants would be massacred when he was born, and they were. It was prophesied he would be rejected by his own people, and he was. It was prophesied he would be called a Nazarene, and he was. It was prophesied he would speak in parables, and he did. It was prophesied that he would be praised by the children and not the rocks, and he was. It was prophesied that he would be crucified with criminals, and he was. It was prophesied he would have hands he would have nails in his hands and in his feet, and he did. It was prophesied they would gamble for his garments, and they did. It was prophesied he would have a spear in his side, and he did. It was prophesied he would be buried with the rich, and he was. It was prophesied that he would rise on the third day, and he did. He fulfilled all of the prophecies. And if they had not put this spear in his side, it would have disqualified him as being the Messiah. It proves that Jesus is the Messiah. I want to tell you, friends, there is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus is the Messiah. If you believe it, say amen. So what is the significance of this spear in his side? It had to be done as part of the proving and validation that only Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But there is a second proof. Let's go to point number two. And it, is, it proves that Jesus really died. Now this is important, very important. 
According to John 19, 33, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Now, I mentioned this briefly, but let me go into a little more detail now. When someone was hanging on the cross, part of the contributing factor to dying on the cross is suffocation. When they're hanging on the cross, their body slumps. And the rib cage closes in around the lungs, making it difficult to breathe. So in order to catch a breath, they would have to extend their legs and stand up and inhale. But they were so weak, most of them had lost so much blood. You can imagine Jesus had been flogged. He would slump again, and it was difficult to breathe, so it would stand up again. And this constant slumping and standing up is what the Romans called the dance of death. The dance of death. Someone struggling to even stand up and catch a breath. So when they saw the sun was setting, the Sabbath was coming, we got to get these guys dead quick and get them buried quick because Sabbath is coming. Break their legs so they cannot stand up again and catch another breath. So they went to the first criminal, broke his legs. Within minutes, he's going to die. He can't breathe now. He can't stand up and catch a breath now. They go to the other criminal. They break his legs. He's going to die within just minutes. They get ready to break the legs of Jesus, but they don't need to break his legs. He's already dead. So they don't break his legs, which fulfills a prophecy. Not a bone of his would be broken. You see, the Old Testament Passover lamb couldn't have any broken limbs, and Jesus was fulfilling the fact that only he is the Passover lamb, the sacrifice for our sins. So they didn't break his legs. But, you know, If they took these guys down from the cross and one of them wasn't actually dead, the soldier would be executed. So he wanted to make sure he was dead. He took that spear and thrust it into the side of Jesus. Make sure he's dead. When he thrust it into the side of Jesus, Jesus didn't groan or moan. He was already dead. He didn't even feel it. He was already dead. Now, there was a popular theory in that day and, and still among people today called the swoon theory. What, they, what some people say is Jesus didn't really die. He just fainted. He just went into a coma. And when they took him down from the cross and put him in the cool grave a little bit later, he resuscitated and he woke up. And he never really died to start with. And maybe, you know, he, he, then he pushed the stone out of the way and just walked out of the grave. That was the theory. It's called the swoon theory. But this right here proves that he, he didn't just swoon because they thrust that spear deep into him. Now, let me use myself as a, an example here. A number of years ago, I thought I killed a possum. And I told my wife I killed the possum. She says, but you know they do pretend like they're dead sometimes. I says, oh, no. I said, I killed this one, though. This one is dead. And I said, I'm going to get a shovel, and I'm going to bury this thing. She says, well, make sure it's dead. And so I took the shovel, and I pushed him a little bit, and he didn't grunt or groan or move. And I rolled him over, and I, and I pushed him a little bit again. And I says, no, I said, I really do think this one's dead. She was right in the middle of cooking dinner. She said, I need something at Food Lion about a mile away. She says, go get what I need at Food Lion and bury the possum when you get back. When I got back, that possum was gone. (laughs) He was only pretending. Now, if I had a Roman spear with me and thrust it into his side and punctured his heart until blood and water came out, he would have been dead. But I I didn't poke him hard enough. 
Come to think of it, we could have had possum stew that night, right? <laughs> it would have been the first time. They didn't just poke at Jesus with this staff or with this spear. We believe it went in between the fourth and the fifth rib and went deep enough to puncture through one of his lungs and then to puncture his heart. The double-walled sack that goes around the heart contains some water. And when that spear thrust in so deep, it broke that sack and water came out and then it punctured the heart and blood came out so that when they retrieved the spear, both water and blood came out. And the fact Jesus didn't groan, move, or anything because he was already dead. Why is this important? Because if Jesus didn't die, our sins didn't die. If Jesus only swooned, then our sins only swooned. He did die, and our sins died with him. That's why I like that old song, that old hymn says, you ask me why I'm happy, I'll just tell you why, because my sins are gone. They're underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary. Thank God my sins are gone. So the piercing of his side proved that he really did die which is proof that our sins really are forgiven. We ought to clap our hands and thank God that our sins have been forgiven. There was a shepherd who had many sheep, and in one case, this mother sheep, which we call a ewe, had a baby lamb, and then another ewe had a baby lamb, and in the one case, the mother died, and in the other case, the lamb died. So there was a mother without a lamb and a lamb without a mother. So the shepherd took the living lamb and brought it to the living mother, but when she smelled it, she knew it wasn't her lamb, and so she refused to nurse it. And the shepherd thought, well, what, how can I solve this problem? What can I do? So he took her lamb that had died and stripped it of its wool and wrapped its wool around this living lamb so that when she brought it the next time, she smelled the wool of her own lamb. And then she took care of it. She accepted it and she nursed it. You see, we and our sins are repugnant to the holy nostrils of God. But a lamb died in our place. And when we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, now when he smells he smells Jesus. Now he accepts us through Jesus. We are wrapped up in Jesus. I'm glad Jesus died because therefore we can live. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Well, there's one more proof I want to discuss with you today. It's point number three, and it proves that Jesus gave his all. According to verse 34 one of the soldiers pierced his side with his spear and immediately blood and water came out. I mentioned this earlier. I'll reemphasize it now that this double-walled sack that goes around the heart called pericardium, I think is the way it's pronounced, this proves that the spear went through his lungs into the pericardium and punctured his heart. Jesus gave his all. He gave his very best. If you back up just a few hours, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, he gave his will to the Father. Not my will, but thy will be done. He surrendered his will. When he was at Praetorium, he gave his back to the whip. And they also plucked his beard, spat in his face, and smit his cheeks. He gave it all. 
He gave his hands to the nails. He gave his feet to the nails. He gave his mother, Mary, to the disciple, John. He gave his spirit to his father when he said, I commend my spirit into your hand. He was giving away everything he had. And after he died, there was but one thing left, and that was his heart. But when the spear punctured his heart, he gave his heart to. He gave his heart to you. He gave his heart to me. He didn't hold anything back. He gave it all. Which tells me in turn, we ought to give our very all to Jesus. God forbid that we just give him part of our lives. Compartmentalize our lives. Lord, we will give you Sunday, but Monday through Saturday belongs to me. Lord, I'll give you this part of my life, but I'm going to reserve the other. No, Jesus gave his all for us. We ought to give our all for him. I surrender all, the song says. There was a popular game back in those days, 2,000 years ago, that was called King, K-I-N-G. It was a game called King. And the soldiers would have taken a staff or a stick and drawn some squares out in the dirt. They had something similar to dice, not exactly like the dice we use today, but this game called King was played with a wooden skittle. It would have looked something like a bowling pin. And it's a game like poker. You had to play with money, and somebody's going to win all the money by the end of the game. So you, you put your money in a pile, and you roll the dice, and you move the skittle along the markings. And when it hits on a certain spot, then they begin decorating this wooden skittle to look like a king. They take a little purple garment and fasten it. They keep rolling dice, putting money in the pot, and they keep moving around until finally it hits another marker, and then... They attach a little scepter or a reed or a stick to his hand. Look like a king's scepter. They roll the dice some more and keep moving around. And finally they hit a spot where they put a little crown on top of its head. And they keep going around. And whoever the, the winner is going to be now, he tosses this, this dice. And when it lands on that final marking, then he gets to take all the money in the pot. Besides that, now he bows down to this little wooden skittle and says, Hail the king! Okay, he won. He gets all the money. They were playing a game with Jesus. Oh, he claims to be the king of the Jews, does he? Oh, they were laughing. It was hilarious. Hey, let's play king with this guy who claims to be a king. Somebody somebody, go find a little purple garment, and they wrapped it around him. Hey, we need, a, we need a scepter, right? Let's find a scepter. And they found a scepter, and they put it in his hands, and someone says, well, he, he looks like a king except for he's missing a crown. So someone found some thorns and just twisted them together and put them on his head, and then they all... Bow down and started laughing and mockery. <laughs> hey, he says he's a king. Let's, let's treat him like he's a king. They were mocking him. They were playing a game with him. At any moment, he would have wanted to. He could have broke that stick over one knee, snapped his fingers, and he could have called for his righteous scepter from the heavens. At any moment, he would have wanted to. He could have tossed that little purple garment aside and wrapped himself in the Shekinah and a royal diadem. He could have tossed away those crown of thorns and the angels could have brought him that diadem from heaven and he could have stood before them the glorious king of eternity. With one swipe of his hand, he could have killed every soldier there. 
But he didn't come to kill. He came to give life and to give life more abundantly. And Jesus bore their markings and bore their mockeries. Why didn't he call time out? Why didn't he quit? He could have pushed the panic button. He could have said, Father, I changed my mind. I'm not going through with all of this. Why did he go through it all? So that you and I could come out from underneath all the sins, the transgressions of our lives. Thank God Jesus gave his all so that in turn we could be freed from all of our sins. That is worthy of a praise. Clap your hands and celebrate the goodness of the Lord with me. I will close with this. And I may have shared this story with you before, but it bears repeating. A man by the name of John Ramirez in New York City had come from Puerto Rico and he was heavily involved in the dark arts he trafficked among demons and he had a large black pot in his home, a cauldron, like a witch's cauldron with all manner of satanic objects on the inside. And during his prayer time, he would kneel before this cauldron and call up evil spirits and they would appear before him and he would converse with them. And he could send them on assignments and it became a lucrative business for him. He was charging people $10,000 to put curses on people. And these people, some of them would die. And it was, a, it was a business. And one lady came to him with a name on a piece of paper. And she said, here's the $10,000. I want you to curse this woman so she'll die. He said, okay. And he went before that cauldron and caught up those evil spirits and sent them on assignment with this woman's name and Several weeks went by. The woman didn't even get sick. A month and a half went by. And so the other lady says, wait a minute. If she's not going to die, I want my money back. <laughs> and he says, well, wait a minute. Let me try again. Let me find out what the problem is. And he went back to prayer at that black cauldron and called up those evil spirits and said, why didn't you kill this woman? And they said, we attempted to, but our mission has been aborted. And he said, what's the problem? They said, we can't touch that woman. She's covered by the blood of Jesus. <laughs> we can't touch that woman. When we attempted, her God stopped us. Her God said no. I want to tell you, I'm glad I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. Satan can't lay a finger on us. We belong to God. Stand with me, please, in the house of the Lord just now. Final slide. The significance of the pure side, it proves lots of things, but here's three things in particular. The significance of the pure side proves Jesus is the Messiah. He fulfilled the prophecy. It proved Jesus really died. He didn't just swoon or faint. And it proves that he gave his all, not only his hands and his feet. Thank you, musicians. Please come. But he gave his very heart for us. Bow your heads, please. Lord Jesus, we stand here on this early Sunday morning and we say thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for giving your very best. Thank you for holding nothing back. 
Thank you for giving your very heart for us. And Lord, when we think on this story, when we think on this gospel truth, it moves us to think that you would do that for us. That you went through all of that for us. You could have stopped at any moment you would have wanted to. But you endured all of those sufferings because you loved us and wanted to fulfill the will of your Father. We can't thank you enough. So Lord, we pray a prayer here today reciprocating since you gave your all, including your heart, we give our all, including our heart. So I extend my hand over the congregation today. And Lord, I pray for those that are standing on my left and those that are standing on my right. Those that are watching by live stream. That this Sunday morning is a moment of commitment and recommitment to the Lamb of God who died on the cross for us. Lord Jesus, we give you our all. We give you our past, our present, our future. We give you our gifts, our talents, our abilities. We give you our sins, our failures, our mistakes. We give you our family, our friends, our relationships. We give you our body, our soul, and our spirit. We hold nothing back. We give it all to you. We give it all to you. We give it all to you. My friend, if you're in this place today, Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life. This is your opportunity. This is your time to humble your heart before the Lord and not only believe that He is the Son of God, but to accept Him as your own personal Lord and Savior. And you say, well, Cliff, that's really what I need to do. I, I, I know I've needed to do that for a long time. Well, I'm going to help you today. I want to lead you in a prayer, and I want you to repeat the prayer. But I want you to repeat the prayer with all of your heart. You can't just repeat the prayer of the preacher. you got to pray with all your heart. Are you ready? Let's do this together. Say, Lord Jesus... I believe you're the Son of God. And you left heaven and came to earth and died on the cross. Shed your blood for my sins. And I confess I have sinned. I broke your commandments. I'm guilty. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I'm making my Lord and Savior right here, right now. Clap your hands and celebrate with me the goodness of our God. Lord, we bless you and we honor you. Hallelujah. 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 Thank God. I know we have to practice social distancing and we've become pros at doing that. But I do want to give an opportunity. There could be someone here today that says, I, I really feel like that today 
I need to go stand at the altar and I would like a prayer. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to lay my hands upon you. I can put my mask on, okay? But you just say, I want to go to the altar because today I need an extra prayer. I need extra strength from the Lord today. While they're playing the music and singing the song, it's your opportunity. If you, if you come, just practice social distancing. But if you feel like you need a second prayer, an additional prayer for strength today, for whatever the reason is, then I want you to come right now. Just step out and stand here. The pastor and myself will be willing to, to have an extra prayer with you. Anyone needing a special prayer? Thank you. If you'll come over on this side, and if you'll come over on this side, please sing what's on your heart. Thank you. Pastor, would you help me?